This is The New Right, a podcast for the lost arts, reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen. This is Dan Baltic. And this is Matt Pegas. And this is episode 43, I believe. Yeah. And we have return guest here, Kevin Kautzman, playwright extraordinaire, uh, one of our favorites, co-host of Art of Darkness, which is an incredible literary pod. I mean, we, we as New Right, as a literary pod, I feel we are very well positioned to speak about other pods. And uh, it's, it's great, Art of Darkness. They put in a ton of effort on delivering biographies of tragic artists and their you know, kind of uh, interesting and, and winding lives. So he, he does that. He's one of the founding members of Bad Mouth Theater Company, which is producing and recording on uh, on podcast and otherwise a lot of very interesting plays, plays that are pushing the boundaries of uh, the uh, the discourse, shall we say, and, and touching on hot button issues. So uh, Kevin is really a uh, a man about uh, man about town intellectually. And a man about uh, about Twitter. He's, about, uh, he's a personality yeah. on the bird site. You may have run into his tweets, and um, we uh, we we certainly have. That's actually that's how we came to know you. We uh, we found your tweets, and we we're like, this guy seems cool. I think you were actually on Robert Stark's pod with yes. Matt at some point in the the past, and uh, yeah, so uh, you came on ours, and you're you're back here again, Kevin. Uh, great, great to have you on. Thank you for having me. The podcast party circuit that we identified <laughs> on, and of course, exactly. you, Dan, were uh, were a fabulous guest on Art of Darkness recently, where we uh, we got dunced with uh, <laughs> yes, we did <laughs> with our friend. Uh, yeah, what a what a good time that was. Uh, so, if you want to hear more of Dan, check out Art of Darkness at artofdarkpod.com. Uh, and and our recent episode that we did, uh, and of course you you two did on the constellation of podcasting right. uh, on on John Kennedy Tool and the Great right. Confederacy of Dunces as well. So yeah, no, that was one of our favorite pods. It uh, I draw a lot of inspiration from Dunces. I did when I wrote Nutcranker, and um, yeah, it's just like. For Art of Darkness, for that episode we did on John Kennedy Tool, I think I said before the episode, and I'm sure I said it during, 
that he is the, in my opinion, one of the tragic artists par excellence, just like you don't, it would be hard to find a more heartbreaking story than Kennedy tools. And like, just, you right. know, it was a pleasure to talk about him. And in to have many a chance ways, to, we talked about that. our, our pod, uh, but you know, in many ways, he's kind of a progenitor of the kind of authors that are sort of more Twitter bound nowadays uh, and that come on our pod or may listen to, our pod, you know, just in terms of that kind of more socially isolated life. Uh, he, <laughs> well, you guys, y'all have a killer's row of people. Uh, you've been, you've been, I've been following you. I've been listening when I'm, I'm able, and it's, it's fun to see you build this thing and sustain this thing. I think I was a pretty early guest. Very yeah, you were one of our earliest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And second or third guest. Maybe wow, second, maybe second guess. I don't remember. Uh, it, Matt okay. Lawrence was the first. Matt Lawrence, yeah. First, Kevin might have been the second. Might have been. been. I, I hope I'm not offending any, anyone if, if they were that. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, very early in any case. Well, it's yeah. it's nice to see that you have staying power. You're you're staying oh, yeah. with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, like as you, as I'm sure you are as well. You have your day job. And like, God, we just spend like, uh, you know, so much of our like free time doing podcasting, yeah. but uh, we love it. And that's, that's why we, and then, you know, I'm sure that's why you and Brad do it too. Nobody believes in the media anymore at all. Yeah. The goodwill that any goodwill that they had in, and, and authority they had over hitherto consensus reality has completely been eroded particularly 100%. coming out of the COVID nonsense. And so there's no there there anymore. And there in its, in its stead, there is a gaping vacuum sucking all that is good and holy into it. And that's an enormous opportunity. So pods like yours, Pods like, if I may, Art of Darkness, absolutely, starting a theater company. It can, as we were saying before the we started recording, it really cannot get any worse. So just, just <laughs> put your put yourself out there, make stuff. Also, we we live in this era now of really no excuses. Everybody's got a laptop. If you don't, you can get one. Uh, anybody can get a, a microphone. All you want. Uh, for really is an idea and then the will or the energy to make it so i mean Absolutely. and of course you know we you know and we can't you can't beat the algorithm but who like who really cares make the thing that you want to see in the world i mean that that's been the secret for art of darkness for us we would continue yeah. to do this even if we didn't have an audience and mm -hmm. that that's the magic spot yeah yeah one of Absolutely. the things i like so much about art of darkness is like so there's a lot of pods in our our world which just get a lot of mileage out of just saying things that they don't say in the mainstream and uh, to an extent i think you know new right does get a lot of mileage out of that we're, we're talking about the stuff that they won't talk about with people that they won't platform and that's like you know that is powerful that is juice but like your pod, like this is something that like, you know, historically this this could have been a very and it is a popular pod, but it could have been a very popular mainstream, like, you know, establishment, like to have like a every two or three times a month, a 
pod about a tragic artist that tells all about his life. It's the type of thing like that, you know, I think the the NPR listeners, even if they weren't so psyoped, they would be like, <laughs> yeah, wow, to, to sit down and you get to learn all about like uh, Bukowski. You haven't done the Bukowski episode yet, but all about, uh, oh, like a John Kennedy tool, any any of them, uh, Lovecraft. Burroughs, you, you know, yeah, 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 Burroughs. Yeah, it's uh, it's something that you not only are entertained by, but you are educated and enlightened by. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, go, no, on. go on. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, it's a case of the medium is the message, though, too, because we've we've discovered our, our format over time and uh, it's not overproduced. It's we call them conversational profiles of dead artists uh, and some are more tragic than others we don't call them biographies anymore because we were we were corrected by the great carl rolleston because we're not doing biography we're doing profiles biography is the work that we lean on uh okay. for example i'm getting ready to, to do the great beast 666 mm -hmm. alistair crowley <laughs> crowley i'm retraining myself to say crowley because apparently in a poem he uh rhymed his surname with unholy so right. I, it is crowley of course i want to say mr crowley I, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I wanna, yeah, you know so it's interesting i am a uh, an ozzy osbourne respecter uh so it's yeah. difficult for me to, to change the, the the pronunciation but in any case the bio is the biography we're leaning on is from this fellow richard K kaczynski kaczynski no relation i'm sure to Uncle Ted. <laughs> uh, although although it's possible yes. Who knows? Uh, you, you start to notice some very, very strange things. And I think we can go we can go down a bit of a, a Crowley rabbit hole here if we want. But I'm getting ready to do that. And the point is, we lean on these biographies. We are not biographers. The same way that um, uh, the hardcore history fellow, Dan Carlin, doesn't call himself an historian. historian true, yeah. So, you know, it's sort of an interesting thing. But uh, yeah, that pod is something that should have ex existed before. But if it if it even if it had, it wouldn't have ended up sounding or being the way that ours is which is not overproduced we leave yeah. the ums and the ahs and the warts and all uh in and and the episodes are now three hours long you mentioned the burroughs episode we, we did which was the first episode that was only an hour and by the time we had arrived at doing kubrick we realized oh these can be two and a half three hours long yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, our so, pods followed mm -hmm. a similar trajectory. I think that our first episode on Mike Ma, Dan, was probably on, on Mike Ma's books. Uh, was like I, I think it was only like an hour and fifteen, but it felt like yeah. such a such a massive you know work to get that done and edited, and now we whip out like three hour ones. No, yeah, problem. yeah. Uh, but so it's a I think it's a natural enough trajectory to to go longer once you get further further into it. Um, but I mean, one thing I want to say about Art of Dark is I'd, I'd second something I think that you said, Dan, which is that one, one thing that's always stood out to me about Art of Darkness is the amount of research you guys do. Um, I'd like to think that on New Right, we definitely, you know, we read the books, we put the work in, but I can't think of, I really can't think of any other pod, certain, certainly not that's released as regularly of Art of Darkness, where it's evident that just so much reading and kind of scholarship went into it. Um, you know, yeah. there's a certain kind of, we all love, well, you know, some of us like, like, you know, cut sort of come town esque podcasts or it's super conversational. And I do think there's something to, you know, leaving the, leaving the ums and the ahs and that's fine, but definitely art of dark the, 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 you know, one of the chief compliments I would always pay it is that, you know, it's, it is very intellectually serious and exhaustive, uh, in its subject matter. <laughs> 
We've reached a point now where when we do an episode, we endeavor to really give a comprehensive, unbiased profile of each artist we cover. And Brad has been angling. Brad, my co-host, mm-hmm. uh, who is also a, hitherto a previous guest on New Right. That's right. Uh, Brad Kelly. Brad Kelly. Brad Kelly. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the uh, yeah, the great Brad Kelly, the ter- terrifant author of House of Sleep, which we're going to talk about. We'll talk about later when we get into what we're doing for season three. Uh, in any case, uh, he's been, he's been angling. Oh, we need to do two three part episodes, this and that. And and I'm the engineer. I'm the producer, right? So so there's part <laughs> of me that's like, ah, let's let's get it done in three hours, three and a half hours. So, but I mean, I, this Crowley episode. I have never felt more outmatched by a subject, partly because I went through a period where I really read an awful lot of Crowley and I tried to understand, really tried to understand what he was doing, the sense of humor, his impact on popular culture, uh, even his psychology. What was this guy? Very, very strange, very mysterious. There's no life that we've covered uh, so far, having done, oh, maybe 30 25 to 30 core episodes now we've covered 25 to 30 subjects and then we do other types of episodes but the the meat and potatoes of art of darkness is these profiles nobody we've covered so far uh equally has been so well documented so much ink has been spilled about alistair crowley uh but also so much misinformation and nonsense (laughs) so it's really hard to parse what's true what's false i mean the man wrote a thing called the book of lies uh so i right uh, i think it might have been yeah it might have been one of his first like books of yeah yeah, his first stuff was poetry uh and of course in his confessions he immediately compares himself to shakespeare you know noting that they were they were both born in the same county and what an amazing thing that that one county would produce two of england's you know England's two greatest poets. <laughs> you know, uh, like this well, is, whoa, whoa, whoa! The, we don't know that Shakespeare wrote those. <laughs> right, we, right, we're going to get to it. Been very much in the, the news these days. But mm. uh, not to cut you off, sorry, Kevin. No, no, not at all. In, in any case, uh, covering him, I just today because we're going to have the great Stephanie Leahy come on. She's a medievalist who has some interest uh, and standing in terms of like medieval magic and medieval grimoires and what it all kind of really means you know coming into the more modern crowley magic with a k so she's going to join us and and uh help us try to cover the subject but just today while i was you know doing my reading and i've got these books i just i reached a point today where i said i'm just going to do the best i can to contribute to a meaningful fairly comprehensive pod but there's absolutely zero way i'm going to be able to get the whole of like what crowley was and and every beat of his life across it would take a podcast of its own Uh, so yeah we do our best we do our best it reminds me of you mentioned earlier dan carlin and that is actually the metaphor i was reaching for you guys are like the hardcore history of artists and you do these like deep dives the same way Carlin does a deep dive on World War One. You guys do like a deep dive on uh, Crowley or a deep dive on, um, you know, Lovecraft or a deep dive on Tool. Well, well and like you to throw out another one that I really like, but go on. Sorry. Yeah. Or, or uh, Younger. Uh, our, our fans would like Ernst Younger. So uh, that's another one that you should listen to. And uh, yeah, so it's like, yeah, you, it's just like an 
incredibly detailed. Like Matt and I, we like, yes, we do the reading. Rarely, if ever, is it a novel that we have to read. But sometimes it's a novel. Sometimes. But like, hmm. it's never two books. Well, I don't think we've ever had like a single episode where we had to read two books. <laughs> so like, you guys are reading like three or four books more for each episode. This is crazy. Yeah, I mean, you know, we a lot of it is reference material. I mean, I have a degree in history, so I I am able to kind of BS my way through, uh, you know, to a certain point. I, in any case, that's very flat. That's very nice. Can I can I drop? Um, can I for the new right listeners and for the art of darkness listeners who are going to come over here because we're going to you you know if you're willing we're going to use this podcast. Can I announce our our season three? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Please. Okay. Please. I at the risk of being a little OCD, I'm going to go down all of it. And of course, you can find this at art of darkness uh, art of dark um, And uh, I want to also say we're going to launch a readers club. Uh, for season three, for our, uh, you got to let me shill Very a little exciting. bit, for Patreon, for Patreon subscribers of Art of Darkness. Everybody gets an extra 30, 45 minutes after every episode. And now we're going to do this book club. The book club is going to include, and it, and it occurs to me, uh, you know, uh, Matt, we we should, at some point, we should uh, do Dragon Day as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, but but we are going to include Nutcranker in the book club. Uh, Join this which... book club. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, very excited uh, about that. And um, uh, so let me let me just go down who we're going to do. So we're right. through the end of the year. We've got Crowley, Anias, Nin, uh, Timmy Leary. Hmm. We're going to be doing Amel. Kieran, who I don't even know who that is, then we're going to do Gilda Radner. So that's the rest of the year. Now, season three, which is when we're going to do the book club, Who here's who we have planned. I'm going to do an episode on Victor Grun, who is the... Do you know who Victor Grun was? No, I actually don't. He's the architect. He was a uh, Viennese, Austrian, Jewish, socialist architect who is credited with inventing the mall here oh, in Minnesota. Oh. Huh. And he lived to see his work totally perverted. He died horrified at what he had unleashed in the world because he wanted the mall to be uh, an, like a, a suburban community center. He right. had this whole vision that these malls would be connected by public transportation. And it would be, and he just, he lived to see his, his vision totally perverted by capitalism. So uh, that's going to be a fun pod to do. So I'm just going to try to mention so, Oh, it's going to be great. Victor Grun, Joseph Conrad. We're going to do the book, book club. Uh, uh, the first book club is going to be Heart of Darkness. We're going to do Hemingway. With the great Aaron Gwynn, our friend oh, Aaron yeah. Gwynn. Yeah. And and I I have some standing on Hemingway. I wrote a play about Hemingway for History Theater in Minnesota. P here, people don't know that Hemingway had two rounds of electroshock therapy at the end of his life at Mayo oh, I Clinic. Think I heard something about that, but yeah. Yeah. So we're we're finally gonna do Hemingway. Uh Brad's gonna do Maya Darren. We're gonna do da uh David Foster Wallace. Oh, mm -hmm. Can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Big air. We call that big air. Yeah. Um, and and uh, if either of you are moved by any of these, of course, you all are welcome to come on for a darkroom episode mm -hmm. after the fact, but we'll talk about it. We're going to do, for the book club, we're going to do Nutcranker. Thank you, uh, Kevin. It's going to be so much fun. I, I can't wait. Um, Marilyn Monroe. All right. I got to do Monroe. 
Uh, Brad's going to do Borges with Aldous Asterian. We're going to do Borges for the book club, Ficciones. Nice. Then we're going to do, I'm going to do Lenny Riefenstahl because we got to get, yeah, yeah, we got to do Lenny. Yeah, that's going to be good. Brad's going to do Tarkovsky. We're going to do all right. Wins All God's Children for the book club. I'm going to do Frida Kahlo. Brad's going to do Emily Dickinson. We're going to do the complete poems of Dickinson for the book club. Nice. Then it's Bukowski. Brad's going to do John Milton. I'm going to do Dante. Uh, Brad's going to do Castaneda. We're going to do Brad's book for the book club. I'm going to do Samuel Beckett. Brad's going to do Mishima. So we're finally going to get oh, Mishima in there. Yeah, yeah, which we're getting requests. So we're trying to <laughs> yeah. listen to... Yeah, I can't wait because I really I don't know a thing about uh, Mishima. Almost done. Um, we're gonna do Confessions of a Mask for the book club. Great. Uh, I'm gonna do Hessa. I'm gonna do nice. Mary Shelley. Yeah, I can't wait to do Hessa. Uh, Mary Shelley. Brad's gonna do Poe, James mm-hmm. Hampton. I'm gonna do Georgia O'Keefe and John Lennon. Brad's gonna do Nina Simone, and then I think we're gonna read blood meridian for the book club and that's nice. that's what we're wow, doing that's next like week. an entire college education <laughs> of people um but that's remarkable i mean just out of curiosity how long of a period of time did, does season three stretch i mean that must be like that's the whole year we okay. have the- no, okay. Yeah, that, okay that's good, good. yeah yeah because i was gonna say try to cram that into six months Boy, but no, that's 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 amazing, and um, you know, thank you. I'm I'm glad that we can we can host that uh that announcement, and people should, should I mean, yeah, I no, everyone should you know tune in, listen, join the book club, and uh, thank these men for the time they spend away from their families to uh, produce this podcast. <laughs> one comment I would have, and I'm curious if this is even entirely accurate, but you know. It seems like uh, there's even a, a, a more of a boldness now in going into season three to kind of reach a little further back into the past with, you know, episodes on someone like Milton. Um, is that, I mean, I, I, I guess that's more of a comment than a, than a question, but, you know, a lot of your, a lot of your original topics or, or maybe almost all of them are kind of very 20th century. And now, now with that, you know, and sometimes that stuff's the most sort of topical or accessible, but, you know, obviously someone like John Milton, you know, then you're really doing historical scholarship to dig into to him and what was going on at that time. But nevertheless, it really fits that same bill of a lot of other Art of Darkness topics where it's, you know, someone who was responding to his surroundings, which were chaotic and, you know, made it through art that was often very dark, although also, you know, in Milton's case, Christian in its way. And uh, yeah, again, these are more comments than questions, but it, it is cool to see you guys start to reach back further into the past. Well, Brad really broke new ground in terms of the pod and and the style of the pod with the Bosch episode, because we don't okay. really know that much about Hieronymus Bosch. So his angle was to take the famous painting, The Garden of Earthly Delights, right. and he he walked you or you can go listen to it at any point. Uh, you can go get Boshed. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, just like he got dunced. Uh, exactly. The, uh, we need to we need to make more artist names need to be verbs. That's how that's how we're going to save Western Western civilizations <laughs> to verb the name. Uh, but in any case, he he walks you through the painting. And so you'll see the painting in a new light. But he, he walks you through the scholarship about the painting with touches into the biography, because, again, we don't know that much about Bosch. That episode was a real 
uh, he he really did a number there because it's not like a straight profile because you really can't do it. So he he broke new ground there. I don't know what kind of documentation there is uh, in terms of Milton's life, but Probably we'll find a way so to make gosh, it. But but still, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's my only point is like it's not it's it's very much like scholarly articles at that point more so than you know. But right, like a pot. Right, like covering Marilyn is very different from covering Milton. You're right. Yeah. Uh, no, no that's that... ambitious, and I, you know, I think it'll be an ambition that'll be rewarded by stellar, stellar content. So we look forward to it. Absolutely. Yeah, one that our side I know would definitely love is: uh, is there going to be a Nietzsche episode? I I need to do Nietzsche at some point. I I have a degree in philosophy. What good it's done me? Uh, whatever. Because that like means. if ever I there mean, were yeah. a literary philosopher, I mean like Zarathustra, that like that that is literature, really. And yeah, that's, it's, like, as far yeah. as tragic lives go, like ooh, my man, he's got uh, he's got a tragic one, and the sister and everything, you know his connection uh for better or worse to 20th century history that's uh, a real well uh, i was i was thinking today that kanye west is the american ubermensch <laughs> there's there's no way that nietzsche could have predicted that the again that the americaner the american ubermensch would look like a dude <laughs> from chicago who what does he do he writes poetry and he's very concerned with fashion uh, and he's also, he's also an egomaniac, a weaponized, unironic egomania. It's it, he is Kanye West is the is the American Ubermensch. <laughs> well, uh, are you going to do? Well, no, you only do people who have passed away, right? They have oh. to have been dead a year and a day. Uh, we're getting. Oh, I, you know, I don't know if this is in the calendar, but we are getting ready to do Norm Macdonald as well. Oh, uh, nice. So, That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I didn't pick that up in my calendar, but let oh, me. That'll be good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's going to be great. Yeah. No, yeah. but the, obviously, so Kanye is not going to be an Art of Darkness episode on Kanye West anytime soon, God willing. <laughs> but uh, in, in, well, we don't know. I, I mean, I, you know, Kanye has to avoid small, you know, private aviation and hot tubs for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, case in, if, if any of our listeners are not already haven't already picked up on this, you know, I get I would say Kanye is the ty- definitely the type of artist that you guys cover. You know, someone who is both extremely you know very successful and influential but also with all of these demons and uh you know just different angles through which to approach his life yeah he's definitely well right i mean and sort of the thesis of our show too is that if we throw out any artist who's problematic where there's there's no culture right it's just just gone It's it's deeply anti-human to hold everybody to an impossible standard. Now, that's not to say we need to excuse uh, repeated recurring bad or criminal behavior, but we also need to recognize the culture that we're awash in and the double standards that uh, people are Absolutely. You can go into Barnes & Noble and pick up a book by Ginsburg, who was a, a, a pedophile apologist, uh, or Burroughs, who shot his literally wife. shot and killed his, and his killed, wife. Yes. Right, but there Burroughs are currently also apologist. Right, yeah. of course, and Burroughs was yeah. a pederast, uh, and but because he's, I guess he remains quasi fashionable. Uh, you can still go get his books at Barnes and Noble. Who gets to make that call? I guess. Um, and and one thing about our show too is that none of this is 
prescriptive. Like we're not covering Crowley because we're Thelemites or that we we want you to go and practice uh, sex magic. Although my DMs are open. Um, <laughs> the uh, the uh, just slide on in there. But um, you know the thing about Crowley is is even if you're some ortho bro, you know neo reactionary, you need to understand this dude if you don't want to be an npc if you want to understand the current pop culture and the world that we it's crowley's world we just live in it that's one yeah. of the cases that i'll interesting. be interesting no yeah, i'm, I'm so, really excited yeah. to listen to that one because i really don't know that much about crowley and mm. like it you know if he indeed has had an outsized influence on the current year the modern era uh like i i will be uh educated by this yeah product. no i am also extremely excited for it yeah yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. He's just such an interesting character. And uh, I also know you all have, well, so we have a, an Art of Darkness Telegram chat. The link is is on our website. If you go to artofdarkpod.com, you can get in there. We got, you know, like 30, 40 people in there. We're, we're growing it like everything else. Our friend Astral, friend of the show, oh, yeah, we've yeah. had him on. Yeah, Astral sometimes hosts Brad and I, and we're getting ready. This is kind of like book club adjacent because now that we have like a little audience and we have like a platform or whatever, we want to kind of do new cool things with it, which is the where the book club idea comes from. It's like, well, let's just do this. But we're getting ready to go on Astral's pod to talk about Bite Club. So, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So look out for that, too. That's going to be a lot of fun. I just I had to shout that out because I was in the chat earlier today. And I'm like, hey, I'm going on new right. You want me to mention anything? And Astro's like, I'm shameless. Mention me. Mention you got to listen. Yeah. To the, we, yeah Astro. And I were just on, mm-hmm. on Astro's mm-hmm. pod and he mentioned the Fight Club thing. So, you know, it all. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. Connects. Sweet. Um, yeah. yeah. And you, uh, by the way, did you and Brad did a very good episode with Astral on his pod. Um, you know, I guess this is your return episode, but your original episode was very good, too. <laughs> yeah, I overslept. I've got young children. I was, <laughs> but I made I made it. I made an entrance. You know, I finally made it. Yeah. Yeah. That guy, he's so intense and and uh, and, <laughs> and just really uh, uh, an asset to this side of of Twitter and uh, I guess the the discourse, my discourse. Very oh, interesting yeah. fellow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very, uh, you know, very supportive, always like wants to help people. And, you know, and yes, very like insightful. And it's got like a, a lot of intellectual firepower in his uh, in his engine there. Definitely. He's unapologetically passionate. If you yeah. get yeah. Astral wound up about something, he he doesn't pull any punches. And I love that. We need more of that. This this stoic you know, just get on with it kind of attitude. It's like, no, we're, we're a lot of us are, we're artists. We're supposed to be out there. We're supposed, you know, it's been a war on extroverts for a few years and it's time, it's time for the extrovert, for the guy who says, you know, who goes past the joke and says too much and talks too much and maybe drinks too much or, you know, it's time yeah. for too much. Yeah. <laughs> we need to, mm-hmm. yeah. We need to bring it back a little bit. Yeah. And time for sincerity. I think time for like, like there's so much, you know, the culture is steeped in irony and like, and that's great. That's like, but you know, things, uh, things are kind of starting to matter again. So <laughs> at a certain point when politics, you know, kind of necessitates a more uh, uh, honest and, you know, non-ironic response, you need people who are up to that challenge or, you know, well, ready to actually say like, yes, this is what I believe. This is what do you what think about behind. this idea that when both sideism is kind of the order of the day, 
where you just shrug your shoulders and go, well, it's all power and they kind of run mm-hmm. things. And eh. it, irony seems to be the appropriate response to that. But as sure, yeah. both sideism goes away, because now we see one side wants to lock you in your house and force uh, an experimental medical intervention on you and your children in order to participate in Especially civic life. your children. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly, leave. I'm going to, can I? Is this yeah, a, you can say whatever. Leave the fucking kids alone. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I'll go on record and say this. That's. If mm-hmm. if we don't draw the line there, I'm talking about college kids. I'm talking about little kids. Just yeah. let them have their childhoods. Let them, you know, let, let the them become ch- adults. <laughs> particularly, I am talking about vaccines. I don't want to touch a, another third rail. But in this case, or experimental medical inve- interventions, there's no both sides on this for me. So you can, yeah. you know, and you can call me whatever, whatever you want. Oh, well, in any case, I, this is a total non sequitur, but um, I've got my uh, uh, my safety propaganda uh, shirt on that I'm that I'm wearing. Uh, All right, the great Adam Lehrer. I gotta call him out too. I don't know if you, y'all are. Have you had him on the pod? No, yet? no. Oh, actually, I'm not familiar yeah. with that. Ooh, you guys. Ooh, you should. I. Mm, hmm. He he came on our our toe episode. Uh, and, oh, sure, and yeah. talked our toe with us. Mm, I might, I might have to make an introduction. That would be great. A, yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's a fabulous, fabulous writer. No, definitely. We love, we love introductions. You know, like um, mm-hmm. obviously, there's a million people we could do episodes with, but it's always best when, uh, when we kind of have that more, you know, the connectivity with another guest. So yeah, would love to, to hear. It. But he does like screen printing and stuff. Yeah, well, he's got a whole brand. Uh, safety. I hate that word, but he's got a whole cultural thing going on yeah uh but he's he's, he's an author he has a book gotcha. uh, called it, uh, communions yeah mm-hmm. it sounds like stained haynes has some competition there <laughs> he's uh he's another i don't know if you're familiar with haynes but he does like a whole in new york city a whole like apparel line of yes like safety propaganda type stuff with like mm. like one of our favorite uh t-shirts is uh no riding with despair and it shows mm. like a stick figure on the subway with his head in his hands but with a big X over him, and it says like "Keep hopes up." Hmm. Yeah, no black pilling. Exactly, right. yeah. no black pilling. That's right. I'm gonna I'm gonna reach out to Lara now too. I do love that you know they forced us into our homes. They made everybody become very online. If you weren't already very online, now you kind of have to be. I did feel a a vibe shift when that started where people realized, wait, we're in this for the long haul, uh, long haul, rather the long haul. Yeah. It's yeah. Right. Calling Dr. Freud. Uh, <laughs> people started to explicitly reach out and start to make connections. And this is really one of the great things about the podcast party circuit, whatever you want to call it. These connections are real where you're really meeting real people. I feel like when I, when I travel, when I start to travel again after crypto moons and I'm a man of independent means like Crowley was at 18 at 18, by the way, Alistair Crowley at 18 inherited two the equivalent of $2 million today. Yeah. And, and like explains a lot actually, right? Doesn't it? It's really easy to believe in 
like sex magic and 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 you know the fact that like you know wanking or or buggery will allow you to manipulate reality when you <laughs> in it, when you already are sitting on a a small fortune <laughs> like of yeah, course no, totally, and, uh, totally yeah yeah it's like oh yeah well look the the entire world bends to my will it's like well you're you're a an Englishman of of means <laughs> Alistair <laughs> the uh, the <laughs> wanking yeah. was incidental right right the wanking is just something that you do (laughs) (laughs) correlation is not causation alistair Uh, i'm very powerful because i jacked off today (laughs) i mean and i i don't mean i you know this is one of the things about our pod too is that we do try to have fun we try not to be way too serious oh yeah that's another Uh, thing i I really appreciate about it because you know there's always that risk with you know quote-unquote right-wing podcasting where things are going to evolve you know purity spiraling art of dark does not you know you guys you guys have fun with it <laughs> with the darker and sometimes lurid topics yeah it should be fun we're not comedians and i'm never gonna do stand-up thank god the world doesn't need that but like i write comic plays my plays are humorous plays uh i i wrote like an internet sex comedy over uh-huh. 10 years ago called if you start a fire be prepared to burn which is mm-hmm. it's published by by Broadway play publishing. So uh, read that. I mean, yeah, <laughs> check yeah. it out. It, yeah, it, it's a comedy about uh, people, a young couple during the recession who turned to cam modeling, who turned to OnlyFans before OnlyFans was OnlyFans. And it all goes pear shaped, of course. It's a sex. Oh, hey. it's a, uh, yeah, it's it a, sounds like you're even subtweeting someone there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, gonna, yeah. I think we all know. Uh, or, or I guess in this case, uh, prophesizing or yeah probably not stuff to me uh, yeah. you you prophesize yeah or... yeah you know i yeah no, i'm not gonna say who i was uh subtweeting when i wrote that because it was a subtweet uh oh, okay yeah, i know but it was yeah. but it was a metaphorical subtweet uh the person i person i was subtweeting with this play did not turn to online sex but i did watch them go from being an idealist in college to confronting the real world and watching them abruptly change from idealistic uh yeah. to sort of cynical uh mm-hmm. made me go I'm going to write a play about this and um I did want to mention one more thing that a, that a fellow in our chat asked us to or asked me to mention when I came on uh and and it's it's not a total it's not a non sequitur at all he wanted me to, and this is Domingo in our Telegram channel, he wanted me to ask about what he calls, and I'd never heard this this term before, laser drama. Have you heard this? Closet no. drama? No. It's, it's a type of um, play that is written not to be performed, but to be read. Mm. And he, he was asking, like, you know, why are, why are scripts, including screenplays, not being read today for their literary merit uh and i'll just volunteer one more thing o'neill eugene o'neill the great american playwright the only american playwright to win the the nobel prize uh another example of the herbernian uh (laughs) dominance uh of of arts and entertainment uh eugene o'neill uh but in any case he he wrote those those three great plays uh, the most famous of which is Long Day's Journey into Night. Yeah. Uh to be re- to be read. 
Really? Uh, oh, I didn't know that. That sounds vaguely mm-hmm. familiar. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So it, and and maybe this dovetails into that topic you all wanted to talk about the I am seventeen seventy six article, just about, I guess we'll call it, dissident artists, people who don't go along with the current regime, uh, if you will, leveraging drama and the dramatic form, and sort of taking it back from this this oh, astroturfed wokesters. woke the astroturfed wokesters yeah so in any case i don't know i i love i love reading scripts i love getting a play and and reading yeah. it. i like doing little radio plays too you can find we we did four of them this last year at badmouth theater company badmouthtc.com they're all mm-hmm. there under the podcast uh you know you can go listen to them they're four plays put them in your ear uh your ears doesn't cost you anything just go there we're making it to make it um but it yeah, does, it does. I love the theater as a nice, tidy political art form that you can do that doesn't cost very much. Uh, all you need is a space and some bodies. And if you're the kind of person too, there's one of the things I love about the theater too is that you can be an impresario, you could be a producer, and yeah, that yeah. in itself is a work of art. If you don't, everybody doesn't have to be a playwright. Like, oh, yeah. how awful is that? Who who wants? We don't want that. Everybody doesn't have to be an actor. You could be involved in the theater just by being a ringleader. If you have yeah, a good idea, no. just, yeah. Well, there you go. Absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. um, uh, well, with regard to reading screenplays and plays, like, I enjoy that, sure. And I, I have read a, a lot of plays in my day, somewhat connected to my work, but otherwise, you know, just in general, for fun. But uh, yeah, I mean, plays are meant to be performed on stage generally, and and that's where we see them and do them. And uh, it brings people together. And that is like, that is like, if you're looking to build a new community, you're looking to build a community of people who are like-minded or whatever, uh, bringing them all together in meat space, as they say, that's, you know, that's no small thing. That's a big, you know, that's a big thing, in fact. And that's one of theater's, you know, big advantages, I think. Build a community of people who are like-minded, but also open-minded. Stop stop preaching to the choir. This is one of the the things that the American theater suffers from. This assumption that everybody's a tote bag carrying NPRite who is ashamed if they weren't voting for Bernie. Like, you know, or like if you're if that they're left of Bernie Sanders is the assumption. And it's just like, ugh, it's so tedious. Yeah. Uh, and and it's yeah. So, so so a fat and like, yeah, it's like with the the, the the assumed theater audience is not only liberal, but like um basically wealthy too. almost. You know what I mean? It's like elderly. It, it's Older a very in the, women. Just, we see this. Is... Yeah, definitely women or, or spiritual women. And we see this, honestly, with literature in general, there's a kind of NPR listener aesthetic that a lot of books, we've, we've talked and tweeted and joked about this, you know, that that all, all the books seem to be marketed towards. Um, but no, like there is a, a bigger audience for literature and a bigger audience for theater out there, which is where I think pods like uh, ours and Art of Dark and the, your theater work, Kevin, can really, uh, you know, make a lot of headway. If you're in a second or third tier city in the United States, right? You're not in LA, you're not in New York. And even if you are, those we all know that LA and New York are actually just a an amalgamation of a bunch of different neighborhoods and cities. Yeah. Right. So you can start 
your thing. All you need is if you get a hundred devoted people to be your audience for a thing live, you're you're golden. Yeah, you absolutely. don't have to. You don't have to end up being the Guthrie or being the woolly mammoth, you know, who even wants that? I mean, who even, yeah, you, yeah. you know, want, you know, one, forget about those places. God love them. But I mean, just forget about it. Just start your own thing. Uh, that is one of the the benefits of the last crazy 15 years that we've had, that everything has become, the institutions have become totally inaccessible um, to anybody who isn't a careerist climber within the regime. Yeah, who hasn't been essentially groomed from the start um, for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, groomed and then knows it's like it's like entering a Masonic lodge. You have your first we meet this da, 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 or whatever. It's it's a it's a kind of catechism uh, and it's ongoing. You these people love nothing more than having to. Well, that's that's it. Right. That's the current thing. Shibboleth that that has to continue happening. Uh, oh, it's the Ukraine flag now. Notice how <laughs> nobody's talking. Elon takes over Twitter. Nobody's talking about Ukraine. It happens overnight. Suddenly it, and it'll come back. But it's just like, well, in any case, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have yeah, to constantly yeah. relearn what Shibboleth. It's exhausting. Yeah. Unfortunately, don't entirely go away. Like it was what? It was like BLM, then COVID, then probably something else. Then it was me know, too. At me too. <laughs> like, yeah. And the thing is like, you know, it'd be one thing if like, look, it's all terrible, but it'd be one thing if we're on like, we're on Ukraine and it's like, okay, we can forget about that stuff now. That was fake. We know it was fake, but no, it's still like, well, that was still important. That was still not, I don't want to send us on a sidetrack there, but yeah, but know. at a certain point, there aren't enough emojis in the world to just, to signal your allegiance to power at a certain yeah. point. And, and I think a lot of guys, our age gals, our age millennials have just reached a point where they're just forcing us to make our own thing. And, and, and great and good. Yeah. I love no, that. it's Let, like, let's do it. Yeah. This is like what we're, you know, watching instead of like watching this TV on, on the weekend, we're like making TV on the weekend, yeah. which is cooler, really. Yeah. It's like you're you're using your brain, and that's that's great. Like, and there's so few stuff, there's so little that's actually like any good to watch. Like, I will say, maybe Matt and I have talked about this uh, this show a bit, and I have been watching it. Maybe I'll I'll catch some some shit for it, but uh, cool. I've been watching Euphoria, and oh yeah, it's. It's not terrible, you know, like it is right. woke, obviously it is produced by the liberal, you know, media, but like it does have a kind of incisive what I would take on, you know, the, the current year in some respects, but there's like very little out there that like actually is um, uh, intelligent, that, that actually is like worth watching because like so much of it is just kind of like regime propaganda, really. And that's just it's just boring to watch. Oh, right. It's it's boring because you know what they're going to say. Even if you agreed with it, you would have to think this at a certain point. It's just boring. Yeah. And I think that that's going to be their downfall. It was it was boring 15 years ago when it really kicked off about 10, yeah. 12. I was in grad school when it really started to pop mm -hmm. off. I was right on the edge of, of, of the old regime being hijacked by the new. I saw it happen in real time. Between living, I lived in England for a year in 2006, 2007, came back to Minnesota, uh, got a fellowship at the Playwrights Center in, in Minneapolis, uh, ended up getting a fellowship at the Michener Center uh, at Texas. And that at that point, it was already in full swing in the liberal arts and the theater departments. Uh, 
So it's been sort of a weird trip to have lived through that and then to see it in about uh, the mid-aughts to see it uh, go mainstream. And this stuff really is incubated at the universities and at the, oh, yeah. the, the culture institutions. Uh, and for a few years, it was just totally shocking because you go, well, this is not what I was raised to, like, I was not raised in the 80s and the 90s to think that it was the left that censors people. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> it probably yeah. wasn't at a certain point, but it, it is it is now. I mean, the trajectory has been interesting because I feel like when it started, it was a lot of like anti-patriarchy, anti-whiteness. And now now it's it'll, for the last, and it still is that, but now the philosophy, it started with what you're not supposed to say or not supposed to su- support. And now- as we kind of alluded to earlier, it's not only what you're not supposed to be, but also you have to, even if you are, you know, the black queer creator, you also have to sign on all kinds of other shibboleths about Ukraine or whatever the case might be. So you have to have the word activist in bio. Yeah. And I yeah. saw that happen. And and the, the hypocrisy uh, of this, the, the silliness of it all as like a white, you know, straight white working class dude from the, midwest from north dakota to just to watch these boarding school kids and these yale kids, nothing nothing against you i'm a, i do appreciate you all dating to talk to me um this because i'm such <laughs> a uh, i'm such a state cool uh, state school um you know piece of piece of trash <laughs> what what's the line from your what's the line from your book uh yeah, yeah highly esteemed liberal arts ah uh, yes i University. did not go to a high well i sort of did like texas is like a public i come on cope yeah. cope well, texas and uh, austin that's pretty good that's, yeah yeah uh, hey university hey minnesota twins hey we do all right but uh as long as you just don't get shot on your way to campus right. uh, <laughs> yeah. the uh no joke the 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 bar and restaurant that i worked at uh on campus has since you know it was converted to something else and it was literally there was like a got shot up like it was just like oh my god this is dinky town yeah. is not not the way it used to be yeah i had no idea until the floyd stuff that minneapolis like, i thought like minneapolis well that's just like white uh you know oh yeah German descent up oh there. yeah no it's and now i'm like it's, hey wait yeah. a minute this looks a it's, lot different than the demographics I had the, imagined. <laughs> the, 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 the Germans and the Irish are over here in St. Paul, which is why I'm I'm German Irish. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's the the Scandinavians, uh, old money Scandinavians are the ones in Minneapolis who have their weird uh, socialist ideas. They sort of seem to operate under this idea that they can make the twin cities into like a, a little Stockholm. And, uh, and uh, it doesn't really work in reality. Uh, If all they had were uh, Scandinavians, perhaps. (laughs) Well, but they're right, right. But they've got to deal with, they got, they got a lot of Irish over here in St. Paul. They got a lot of Germans over here in St. Paul. We create a lot of problems. We're very loud at parties. parties. Uh, We're Catholics. A lot of us, it creates a lot of, a lot of trouble. (laughs) Um, Oh, here come the Catholics again. But, um, you know, uh, one thing to, one thing to know about the twin cities too, is that there is a long, deep history of the mob up here and mob violence you could go down a rabbit hole just of that uh st paul used to be called crookshaven 
because the uh the crooked the crooked police who were Irish again the Hibernian menace uh were <laughs> would allow felons to uh come into St. Paul and they would be unmolested uh if they left the the squares alone and didn't do any dirt in St. Paul in the in the 20s or the 30s I can't remember exactly when but around that period one out of every five bank robberies in the United, the United States happened in Minnesota. Oh, wow. And the the mob over in Minneapolis was Jewish. So you you have rival mobs. The the main mobster over in Minneapolis, the big dog over there was tied up with Lansky. Mm. So you've got all of this subterranean people think that like Fargo is so quirky and weird because oh it's not really it's like no, it 100% totally is. We're not that far from Chicago. We're kind of in the Chicago vortex uh in terms of all of that business. It's its own little weird world. It's a, it's a, it's a city on the edge of the frontier. If you look at the map like a light map of the of the United States, it falls off between here and like Denver. There's, you know, in, in any case, uh we were yeah, talking about the wokesters in college. I don't know. I could go on and on about it, but it was very, very strange to be a guy from the middle of nowhere in the in, in North Dakota and then to watch these people. They were all, it was like it was like joining a chess game that had, that was already in the end game. I felt the same way in England, but at least over there they gave me the benefit of the doubt because I was sort of a stranger in a strange land and a bit novel. Over here, it's just assumed. Well, of course I should know all of these rules and all these. Like I don't know what you're. What are you talking about? Like yeah. you know, they, they they're playing a game, and so you can either just kind of like try to learn the game and hang. But but it's so funny too because you see this this happen on Twitter constantly where somebody will like try to virtue signal, but it, it it'll never be enough. You'll never satisfy them uh, because it's a it's always the goalposts are always moving. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's how it's, you know, it's a language that they teach the upper class as a mm -hmm. way of gatekeeping. And like, of, of course, you're never going to really master it the same way you're never going to really like master. Um, well, any any sort of language, I suppose, like, you yeah. you know, there's always it's a dialect. Like, yeah, there's always room to improve. There's always, you know, because otherwise, you know, I think. Well, no, I, I wouldn't sign. I wouldn't sign up for my certification or whatever. But I'm sure many people would, and they'd be like, "Okay, I'm. I have my my stamp. I'm good to go. I'm, you know, whatever." And you'd be certified. You'd be a certified, you know, uh, well, and, good, and good it, guy. It's, it's power is that it's it's all sort of happening subconsciously and naturally, and they have this just elan about it, this easiness, the same way that they'll never be able to hang out at like a midwestern bowling alley unironically the way that I could. Yeah, like I, it's just it's yeah. culture. It's culture and it's class. And uh, of course, Americans are class blind by design. And so these these discussions already reek of like, there's something uncouth about this. We're not supposed to we're not supposed to be saying these things, are we? Uh, for some reason. <laughs> and, and that's right. how, you know, yeah, it's like, well, let, no, let's say these things. I think in Absolutely. some ways, this is reiterating what we were already saying here. But I've heard I don't remember. Maybe maybe Peter Turchin himself has commented on this. I don't really have like a, a textual citation. It's more just a, a conversation I've kind of found myself coming back to on, on different podcasts and just with people. Uh, but I've heard basically plausible theory that a lot of what's behind, you, know, you could talk a lot about what's behind wokeness, quote unquote, but a lot of what's behind the, the way that we talk about it and, and the way that the language policing and content policing is done. Basically, I've heard plausible theories that this is all has to do with elite overproduction, that concept from Peter Turchin and others. 
um, you know, that, that there's so many people with college, college education, you know, who, who think that and in other eras, they would, you know, that would warrant them a certain place with, of cultural prestige and within the upper middle class. There's so many people like that within the millennial generation that, again, as you said, unconsciously or subconsciously, it's not like there's some grand design, but just like just very naturally people fall into an order of hierarchy, which in this case has to do with um, a certain sort of almost I won't use the word Gnostic because that's a little much, but, you know, a certain spiritualism surround like a spiritual liberalism or spiritual leftism about, um, you know, how, how how much you can sort of renounce and you know praise egalitarianism and uh, you, we, we all know get, get what that looks like but um yes yeah. absolutely absolutely yeah and and it's this funny uh it's simultaneously like and, and this is a bit of a high-minded this might be a bit of a wank but it's like they're they're simultaneously affirming and denying the Horatio Alger myth. They can't, it's like they want to have it both ways somehow. Like in America, you can create yourself, but you better do it by our rules. That, yeah. does that no, make yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That sense. I'm actually not familiar with the Horatio Alger myth, but the way you- Well, it's, it's, yeah. it's pull your, the Horatio Alger myth is just pull yourself oh. up by your bootstraps. They were these books that were written in, I think, in yeah. the, around the, yeah. you know, oh, you, you, in America, you can make it, son. You just have to, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And didn't you know that, uh, that uh, Warren Buffett started out uh, gathering golf golf balls, you know, at the <laughs> golf club to make quarters and to make. It's like never mind that his whatever his father or his grandfather was a senator. No, he pulled himself up. Ah, you know, that Horatio <laughs> Alger myth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I think I think you're right. I think you know, in lieu of you know, a more codified culture uh, in lieu of an aristocracy, basically, you know, people resort to, you know, I, I, as a, as a, as a, as a right winger, I guess, or a man of the right, like I do believe you kind of, there's a natural tendency towards aristocracy, but when you don't have that codified within culture, people get up to all kinds of weird uh, tricks in order to establish that. And right now that has to do with wokeism and virtue signaling and how far you can go with it. Yeah, you're to you're very right, and it's 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 very linguistic. All of it, isn't it? Where the yeah. word cells seem to have taken over. That's one of the reasons they resent someone like Elon so much. Uh, Trump, because even, he's, you know, yeah, um, mm, right. Builders or engineers, yeah. they, they or make people stuff. who just yeah. are also yeah. Trump word is word. better at them at their own game. Trump is the ultimate word cell. He is, you know, so he he's a a genius in you know in his speech in his you know in his comic hey, delivery and his funnier like, he's yeah funnier he's like he's you know he's a whatever you think of him like he is a um he's a great politician he's a mesmerizing speaker he was and the like, entertainer in chief yeah and they you know they hate him for the fact that he like they they loved to talk about how dumb he was, how you know uncouth he is. Because the truth is, he connected with people better than any of them could. He yeah. connected with black men, and like when was the last Republican who connected with black men? Uh, yeah. You gotta look pretty. You gotta look pretty far back. He connected with white working class men. He, the only people he didn't Abraham with, Lincoln. Yeah, yeah. The only people he didn't connect with were these uh, woke women and these like, you know, uh, 
these spiritual women, as Matt well, would call them. <laughs> I, I do love this this idea of, of spiritualism because there is a, a strain of that running through the American sub, subconscious that's very real. Uh, and don't say the forbidden words. Don't don't have the conversations you because you. It's almost like you're raising s- spirits somehow. You could there's like a ghost of of the uh, lurking at the edge of the discourse. And if you say that, it's this kind of like panopticon set of self-censoring yeah. gears that we all know we have in our heads, but you can never quite name it or yeah. place it. Yeah, they don't need to censor us outright if we're already doing it ourselves because we know if we don't, our families will starve because we'll get- Well, no, we'll no, that's it's absolutely yeah, right. true. I think most yeah. cultures have that. Like in, you know, in uh, Islamic cultures, you, you can't uh, say certain things about the prophet and uh, or, or much of anything about the prophet yeah. and uh you know here like you know that like um we you know you can't say sir wait in fact, we're, wait stop well, exa- exactly we're, we're talking around <laughs> things right now right, right. to avoid yeah. the fate that you describe so right. uh yeah this is exactly. why we have to protect the anons at all costs we really do <laughs> i'm yeah. a i'm a face yeah, cuck yeah, yeah no yeah. no true so, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah I, we that's true me and matt we have uh, a lot uh, less skin in the game in that regard. With our, I am just waiting for for Trump to come back to Twitter, and I just all I want, just because I want to know that he's following the, the 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 discourse on this very weird corner of Twitter. I just want him to tweet Namaste when he returns. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, what is that? A uh, Rahul Ligma character? I don't know if you've seen. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Ligma, Ligma, and Johnson outside of uh, Twitter. <laughs> and uh, did you see this, uh, Matt? No, I saw the Ligma Johnson thing like minutes before hopping on this. What is the? It has to do with the people getting kicked off Twitter. Am I short on my memes here? Am I behind? So yeah. you you could correct me if I don't have the full story here, Kevin. But I think it uh, is just like a stunt with like some Indian guy and some white guy leaving Twitter with, uh, you know, their yeah. stuff, like they got fired and right. the guy's name is Rahul Ligma. And like, he's a totally made up guy. The, the, the one dude's name is Rahul Ligma. The other guy's name was Johnson. So together they were Ligma, Ligma Johnson, like Lick my Johnson. Oh, and, right. They're Ligma Johnson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, nice. Wait, who orcas? Uh, I'm sorry. They, they pretend. Like okay, so these but... two dudes pretended to be engineers that Elon fired on day day one of taking over Twitter. And they they just lurked outside of Twitter headquarters in San Francisco or wherever um, with boxes. And one of them had the, like a Michelle Obama book in the box. Uh, And they bought it. These, these like the daily mail picked it up and ran it as a story. And it was just a bit of street theater and a bit of trolling. Yeah. A bit of IRL trolling. That's interesting. Yeah. (laughs) It's street theater. Yeah. It's a combination of digital, digital theater and street theater. It's a, it's a bit yeah, it's not like a an entire drama, but it's it's theater. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. Yeah, that's funny. Theater in is... my scrolling, I of course saw those pictures, but I didn't actually watch the video or like hover long enough to realize that there was more going on. That this was actually a real story. I want to yeah. rewind just a little bit and ask yeah. you, Matt, something, um, because this is a topic of discussion that I don't really have that many opinions on. It's not <laughs> how I'm accustomed to thinking, because I'm not a wasp. And I'm not, I don't know who is or who isn't, Um, but you're talking about the American aristocracy 
and this new wokeism in the new regime. And 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 Yarvin and company have pointed this out and, and talked about this. Um, how much of it is the old wasp um, aristocracy renegotiating its standing in relation to a new, more multicultural elite? Uh, um, yeah. I don't think much at all because I don't think that the people engaging in it are disproportionately wasp um i haven't you know there there, there's i think probably someone like yarvin would have a more pronounced opinion on that than me but i mean when you look at the most this gets into a whole other realm of topic but when you look at the most vehemently woke people um in the culture they're not i don't think they're disproportionately wasp well um, i think what we need to do here is we need to break down what do we mean by wasp well, right? white so, well no, method, but, yeah, sure yeah. but like there are a lot of white anglo-saxon protestants in america so like white anglo-saxon protestants from i don't know like rural texas or whatever or appalachia they're not really wasps in the sense that like i think Kevin, I, I'm not. I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but Kevin means wasps. I mean the nor- I the old northeastern yeah, establishment, the old guard, yeah. the kind of yeah. like the old families, the Mayflower families, the people who used to run America, the people who ran America until like the '60s. And like, I think there is some real, there is some truth in that. That like when the civil rights movement um, became more powerful and changes started happening that the old guards saw this happening and they renegotiate, yeah, they did renegotiate their standing. And so like generally like anyone who's in the upper class in America knows that they either, um, they they know that they need to be woke to some extent. Yeah, or I, I to think some, you're right. And so well, anyone who is like a, a New England wasp, they are from the upper class. And so they will either be, they will either be woke or they will be like, maybe like you and me, who understand what that is and are against it. But I think you're not going to have the situation with too many people who are in the, like the wasp establishment to the extent that's even a thing who are ignorant of this drama. They understand that. That's a great point. Exactly. They're educated to be immersed in it. They're educated to be a certain way. I think that's one of the reasons Tucker offends them so much and offends people so much because he is that thing. And he just simply says, no, no yeah i'm not i'm not doing this uh and also he acknowledges what he is in his background he doesn't pretend to be an everyman uh yeah he yeah. doesn't he doesn't larp that uh so yeah i don't exactly know where i'm going here but it's just very curious to, yeah no i yeah. think to the extent that um the wasps sort of renegotiated uh you know with the kind of in the post-civil rights era in order to maintain a status in society uh yes i think so, some wasps maybe did that, but uh, but at the total expense of any kind of demographic self-preservation. Like, well, uh, exactly, yeah. They, they renegotiated at a certain point, but now, so, so some of it, is, you know, we still, you know, you'd have to talk to someone with more of the kind of sociological reading to talk about this me, but a lot of people would say, like, you know, America still is a wasp country in the fact that it was founded upon wasp and very, you know, very Protestant and very English mores that are with us to this day, um so so in that sense there is still that wasp element but it's uh but it's not at this point it's not a demographic influence as much as a um <laughs> i just i just pointed to crowley and and crowley really was that i mean crowley was raised by these plymouth brethren who were these insufferable 
evangelical, ultra evangelical uh, Puritans in in England. So mm. his whole psychology was that he just he saw how miserable they were and how he came to the conclusion that it, and he, he he wrote and said himself, you know, he did not hate Christ. He simply hated the Christ of the people who he mm. hated. Uh, and he, he sounded to be so lifeless and dead. And, and I'm not saying that all evangelicals are this way, but I mean, it's, it is very, very curious to, to think about America as the kind of the, the afterbirth of a certain, the afterbirth of the British empire. Uh, we're like the, you know, if the British empire was the face hugger in alien, we're the, we're the, the queen in aliens, uh, you know, we're the thing that, or, or we're, yeah, we're the, we're the beast that comes from the beast in a funny way. And, and it, yeah. it's, it's an interesting, yeah. interesting question to really ponder and we're not going to get to the bottom of it, but how, how much did the British empire really fall or did it just, did it just the elite power kind of merge with American imper- imperial power and kind of, you know, wrap its tentacles around yeah, the world. Well, uh, yeah. Again, not to go further, further, further down this spiral, though I do think it's an interesting <laughs> one, but you have someone like uh, Alexander Dugan, you know, from a Russian, uh, you know, a very, very Russian perspective, often talks about the Atlanticists and talks about um, the West. It, it gets confusing because, you know, a lot of quote unquote, all right people liked Dugan, who also would have said positive things about the West, quote unquote, but then, you know, from like an ultra Orthodox Russian perspective, you know, he's against the West and he does actually say things like that. It's, you know, English and English and even like racist in its origin, which leaves a lot of people puzzled um, given, you know, to, to call the, the current like GAE racist. Uh, but it, it boils down to something like that, where it's, regardless of the way that the current Western elites and establishment present themselves being so pro-diversity, it remains, again, in the kind of very, very intellectual waters here, but like in the kind of Dugan terms, the uh, the the anthropology of it, the, the anthropological understanding is so still so rooted in uh, like English Protestantism that... Mm-hmm. Um, it's still this very, very English and, totally. and most racist. And, and well, I mean, what are we, what are we speaking? What language are we speaking? My ancestors didn't speak this language, uh, you know, until pretty recently, believe it or not. On uh, certainly on my father's side, I mean, mm-hmm. my grandfather and, and grandmother in that generation grew up speaking German in North Dakota. Uh, so it's just you know you're and you're awash in this operating system of the English language, so it just naturally comes with all sorts of baggage that you can't even notice it. Yeah, and then the yeah, fact yeah. that most most Americans are monolingual uh, is is pretty startling when you really think about what that implies. If you understand that that the English language itself is an operating language of English Protestantism. Absolutely. Really. Well, that's fast. I haven't thought about that in a while, but you know, I was, I was a linguistics minor, whatever, mm. whatever that's worth in college. And I, you know, it was um, obviously a very liberal, very kind of post-colonial milieu. So there was a lot of mm-hmm. notions of, Oh, language carries power and being forced to speak a language, uh, you know, makes you adhere to a certain hegemony. Well, you know what? I think, I don't, I don't think that's entirely untrue. Like I'm not a leftist, or a post-colonial theorist, but I, you know, there is something to that, uh, and that, mm. you know, language does come with its set of 
presuppositions perhaps or just it is a vector of power yeah it is and names are extraordinarily powerful uh crowley took on the magical name proterabo i will persevere i persevere unto the end which comes from mark uh chapter 13 verse 13 Mm -hmm. uh about uh, perseverance and uh it's extraordinarily powerful i mean his system of quote-unquote magic with a k really is just about hacking your own brain and the way that you do that is is with with language uh so yeah this is a a wild rabbit hole that we could go down i i'm gonna go i'm gonna put my tinfoil hat on because i i really love uh folk culture and conspiracy theories uh, are our modern campfire stories yeah we're sitting around these digital lights and and these are the stories we tell one another i i touched on that with my play and i know we wanted to talk about this briefly this is another bit of my my content that i that people can get at if they want it's a play i wrote called moderation uh i wrote it a few years ago so people who know me, you know, know it by now. But if if you've never um, you know, heard of me before, check this out. It's called Moderation, moderationplay.com. I wrote it a little bit ahead of, you know, I was a little ahead of the curve, just like if you start a fire, because now content moderation is like front page news. It's yeah. the whole reason Elon is taking over is to figure out how to manage the, you know, the the content and the and the discourse on twitter in any case uh it's a my play is a dark comedy about social media content moderators losing their minds at work you can go find it at moderationplay.com it's also on spotify as like a kind of a radio play type thing um but one of the things about that play one of the the germs of that play was that i read an article about how these content moderators were reading about conspiracy theories online and slowly beginning to believe them yeah, <laughs> which to me was like that's so perfect. They talk about like a moral hazard of a job. Uh, yeah. You know, you're trying to do this thing, and you kind of become the thing that you ostensibly set out to police. I just think there's such a wonderful. It's almost like a quality of the Godfather in it. Uh, it's just like ah, I try to get out, they pull me back in. Uh, but there, yeah. there was a thing going around on Twitter, um, and I cannot recall the account, but they pointed out that. Rishi Sunak, Sunak, the new prime minister of the UK, uh, worked at Goldman, then went off to work at a smaller hedge fund, which I shit you not, is called Thelema, which Mm. is the name of Crowley's religion. Right. Their spelling of it was T-H-E tilde L-E tilde M-E, but it's Thelema. Which literally yeah. means will in Greek, which alludes to Crowley's edict, uh, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. I looked up the meaning of Thelema with an E, and I found this. An abbey described by Rabelais in Gargantua as having only one rule, do what you like. Yes. yes. And... And I'm not a total tinfoiler, but I love when when you come across stuff like that on Twitter and you just go, is this, is it really this weird? Is it really (laughs) just full blown eyes wide shut? Yeah. Like, no, 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 no. Well, I, you know, we don't, you don't even necessarily, I necessarily have to say your opinion here because maybe it's better saved for the actual art of dark uh alistair crowley episode but i mean that's to me one of the major questions reading about people like crowley and reading about the oto and various 
uh, even Freemasons to an extent in various um, esoteric organizations and people is it, you know, there's one of two interpretations, like, or there's, there's many, of course, but one, two, two broad camps. Like the question is, does this stuff affect the power structure of the world in a deep way or does it not? I mean, uh, and like uh, either, either way, it's interesting to read about, but you know, I, 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 I sometimes I'm convinced sort of in either direction, like, Sometimes I think it's, you know, someone like Crowley is extraneous to the, you know, the power structure that be it's like, it's, it's the result. Uh, again, he, you know, he got this two, two million, he came into $2 million. It's just someone with uh, a wealthy person with a lot of time on their hands delving into topics or is there, yeah, that eyes wide shut deep structure to it. Maybe the answer is somewhere well, in between. I, I but, think it's somewhere in between, but I think Crowley is somebody who really had his hands on the lever of some things and i i'm gonna get at at this on the yeah. uh on the pod certainly he affected culture he influenced Definitely. so many people so many rock and rollers are obsessed with him i mean look he was initiated into the golden dawn at the mark mason's hall which is steps away from buckingham palace mm. steps away from whitehall uh it's 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 right there in westminster it's at the heart of the world it's right by covent garden and these people were not this wasn't costume acting this they they took this stuff very very seriously we can kind of laugh at it these were these were secret societies of men and women who many of whom were engaged in alternative sexual practices at a time when that was blackmail illegal yeah heavy duty you have to remember that Crowley, uh, and I'll get into this on the Art of Darkness up uh, Darkness episode at artofdarkpod.com. But uh, you Crowley, uh, his his first homosexual lover was kind of the Oscar Wilde of Cambridge. Shortly after Wilde had been Wilde at Oxford, mm. and so they had seen what happened to to Wilde, so they had to they kept it on the DL. And a lot of the, a lot of this magic stuff uh, is code. A, 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 almost all of his poetry, most of his poetry, was code for uh, prohibited sexual practices. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and a, a great deal of the magic, the magical working, is these are descriptions of uh, sex acts that <laughs> would have been verboten. Yeah. Now, yeah, and 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 it, we should laugh at it. It is really hilarious. It's all really kind of silly. Like, wait, you're going this far to to talk about you know, a buggering, you know, your your friend from college? <laughs> and the answer, of course, is yes. And and we think again that like, oh well, now everything's so liberated and everything. So it's like, well, yes and no. I mean, what the hell was going on on Epstein's island? Right. With, the, with well, that yeah, temple. Like, yeah. are we really? Yeah. So, Matt, I don't know the answer, but that's why it's a source of infinite fascination, because is there like a society of maybe 10,000 people that really do like kind of fundamentally rule the world? And, and do they are they like doing sex rituals to this day yeah. Yeah. that you know, you know, one. I I, I want to get. I want my invitation. I'm very frustrated. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. Go ahead. No, no, no. You can continue, Pedmore. I just I tend to not to um tie this up with a neat bow because I I think we'll never really know, and and the mystery is part of what makes it intriguing. I I, I tend to think it's not as simple as like a QAnon scenario where 
like really this is at the heart of things and it's terrible and like we need to uncover it and like return the world to pure. I, I tend to think like the, the, the whatever the secret societies that operate and that you know play with these rules and customs I, I tend to think it's kind of just parallel to the to the to the powers that be. I don't think Joe Biden is doing any of this stuff you know what I mean I think there's a there's a there's a very boring dry element to uh you know, the powers behind things. And I think there's just some people within that who get up to, uh, to, to shady, to shadier things. Um, which is, I mean, that in itself is kind of maybe a, a boring explanation, but I, I just think it's, I, I wonder sometimes how much this stuff actually matters in, you know, the, for the real, for the real powers that be. And I think the answer is somewhere between that. It's everything and nothing at all. Yeah. I would co-sign on that to the extent that, People who have a great deal of power and influence in the liberal democratic West are largely insulated from consequences and as a result can do what they want. And some of what they want to do is stuff like this. Yeah. And then so it's not, it's not so much that like they have to do that. Like this is part of like getting, you know, into the club. If you're in the club, you can do it. Well, I mean, and it just, you know, like it's kind of, of like, yeah, you're allowed to let your id run free, many of these people. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, when people's ids run free, they, they go to dark places. Yeah, and then just to cite the the last element of any, I don't even, yeah, of any conspiracy theory worth its salt that delves into this stuff, the other element is blackmail and control. Which True, is certainly yeah, the case with that. Maybe less obviously so with Crowley, um, but definitely with something like Epstein's Island, the whole point is, you attract people with this kind of stuff, and then you have information, and you can control a Bill Clinton for the rest of his life. I don't really mean to completely co-sign on that idea, but that's like the type of idea, well, the yeah, type of person but... who would be cited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, I love that because it's like, what if? Because growing up in America in the eighties and the nineties, into nine eleven, into Afghanistan, into Iraq, pulling your hair out and and thinking none of this makes sense. Why are we sending? Uh, boys, you know, young men from Wyoming and the Dakotas and Nebraska to go die over there. None of it makes sense. It doesn't add up. Mm-hmm. For all the ink that that spilled and all the PhDs and all the punditry and all the serious talk, like, what if it really comes down to the fact that there was an elaborate, multi-generational, uh, spy-driven, three-letter agency honeypot operation to compromise isn't in a way that more of an Occam's razor than trying to twist yourself into, into knots over the American, American foreign policy for the past 30 or 40 years in a funny way. It almost is certainly it's a factor. So if you yeah. were, if you were getting yeah. your PhD on or writing more series about Colin Powell and where this is why we got to go to all of that stuff, we've, we've got new information, man. New shit has come to light. Yeah. <laughs> like the Lebowski. It's like you literally, after the Epstein thing, you have to completely reverse engineer your understanding of what the hell may have just gone on. Uh, and, and I love that stuff. Ooh. And and, and yes. whether or not, you, again, whether or not you co-sign and get into like what I'm saying, I love, because I'm able to do, like on our Ernst Jünger episode, I have stereoscopic vision. That was Ernst Jünger's thing. He saw both the symbolic reality and the the scientific uh, epistemic reality. I am able to talk about both talk about this and both see the symbolic 
folkloric value of what I'm talking about and the material. I, I, I'm I, just because I'm saying these things doesn't mean that I totally wholesale swallow it as the truth, but it's very, very interesting. And again, I'm, I'm kind of with you, Matt, that it's like, it's somewhere in between. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, one thing about the, um, the obvious honeypots and looking, I guess in retrospect, Epstein was an obvious honeypot, but, um, even like during that, that era, that time, like, I feel like you had to have been a fool to like, like to, to put, you know, obviously like I wouldn't do that. You know, most people, you know, um, I, I would hope most people would not do that, but if you were inclined to do that, wouldn't you think like, huh, yeah, this guy has like, you know, like an island and now you don't know who he is really. And he has all these shadowy ties. Why would you go? I, I just, I don't, it d- doesn't make sense to me. A hundred percent, especially after the, he was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, guilty. it's like, it's obvious. Like this is like, you know, this is a very compromised situation. Why would you be like, oh yeah, this guy who's like almost certainly some type of foreign intelligence agent. Yeah, I'm right. gonna, it, well, just, it doesn't, it doesn't if, add up. Like no one's that right, dumb. But it, yeah, but it does if they if they got Polaroids of you doing well, no, shit true. in yeah, Marina if, Abramovich's apartment, then yes, sure. yeah, you go. Once once you're already in it, sure. But right. like for people new, like new entrants, like I would think like that honeypot is just like compromised. You like, and like you, I mean, I would think that a lot of these situations, like you, if you have like the ability to sniff things out at all, which these people, you know, supposedly have, they're like savvy, you know, members of the elite, you'd be like, huh, no, that's, uh, I'm not gonna, you know, go in and this guy's, you know, private, uh, you know, videotape surveillance island. (laughs) It really doesn't add up, does it? No, I mean, it's, I... Not quite, but hey, if they get you at a young enough age and a vulnerable enough state of mind, uh, again, don't actually know that much about this, but if you watch something like Eyes Wide Shut, you see how, you know, it's veils behind veil and just uh, there's an element of trickery or perhaps entrapment. I don't know, (laughs) but yeah. Whatever well, it is, it's, um, you're going to be discombobulated throughout the entire process. And just to be crystal clear, I don't judge them for it. I'm, I just resent the fact that I haven't been invited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, one thing that I think definitely is true, and I'm sure, like you know, everyone can kind of co-sign on, is that when you are, uh, you know, um, uh, aroused, shall we say, your reason begins mm. to falter considerably. And that is like a definite lever of, you know, power to pull with, at least with men. If you Mm -hmm. can turn someone on, you can turn off their brain. Definitely. This is a different class of person too, right? You're at a party. Maybe you're, you're got a little, a little toot toot. You had a few, you're a powerful person. Now you've, you've met Ghislaine or you've met somebody else. Hey, we're going to go party on, on Jeff's Island. What are you doing this week? You know, like it's a different, this is just normal. I dated a gal for a while in uh, in New York uh, who is a Belgian gal who was a private flight attendant. And she yeah. told me told me stories periodically uh, that, again, where they're just it's a completely different strata. Oh, yeah. Different yeah. rules. Yeah, I mean, right? it, it starts yeah. with like kind of um, like Greek life esque things you know what i mean it's like oh we're all partying we're all rich and in college and i mean that's i'm not anti-greek life really but like that's where it would some some of these kinds of things would take root is that mentality and i think if you can 
make people think they're just partying or blowing off steam. Uh, you know, in theory, yeah. that would be how these things would begin. Hmm. I well, like slippery it. Slippery anyway. slope, as they say. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, we live in, we live in like bait, and, bait and switch society, don't we? Everything seems to be bait and switch these days from, from Facebook to, to Twitter, everything. You, you think it's one thing and then it's revealed slowly to be something else. That's uh, right. Isn't that strange? Again, it's like trying your, it's like entering a chess game that's already well underway and you're, you're down three pieces. And yeah. it's, it's it's very very strange for especially for the isolated alienated individual and that is where art and podcasts and creativity and community and theater and making your own thing can serve as a an antidote Absolutely. and give you a little bit of power to feel less isolated and less you know and you can be also fellas where i don't know how old y'all are but like we're the adults now it's, and I'm really, I think millennials are are slightly suffering. I know I am from a bit of a Peter Pan problem because the boomers oh, yeah. have held on no. to power for so. It's like no, we're this is it. You're in your prime. Somebody somebody posted on Twitter yesterday uh, uh, a, a great tweet, um, and it's great because it may it does it makes you think whether you agree with it or not. Saying, you know, yo, forty isn't middle age. Forty five isn't middle age. Most people live to be about. 70 75 <laughs> you're the only reason they tell you it's middle age is so that you'll you're, you'll be willing to work until you're 65 years old and it's like maybe there is something to it uh yeah. but my point is there's nobody come there's nobody coming to rescue us there's nobody coming there's no where it's us yeah no absolutely <laughs> and yeah there is that sense i've i've tweeted about it before that yeah, you're. We all came onto the scene, not in, not even in media in media race, but toward the end of the game. The at least in the West, you know. I, I hate to blackpill, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, <laughs> it's the the game is kind of like winding down, and yeah, yeah, you know, you're like you you came you were born at the end of the party, and you know, make the best of it, and uh, you know, that's that's all any of us can do. Well, right. And, and, and it's extraordinarily competitive. And so no, and nobody will really give you the leg up that you yeah. need really, unless somebody, some mentor, somebody great, you know, you really have to go and make yourself, you really have to go out of your way and hustle and put in the work and put in the time because they won't even tell you that the party's over. Yeah. They, that nobody's going to tell you that. Because they, they're perfectly happy if you remain an NPC and consume and stay in line, you know, yeah. maybe have the 1.5 kids allotted to your social standing, take the trip yeah. to Orlando once in a while. Like, they're perfectly happy to just have you do that. Uh, well, the, the getting yeah. the leg up part, to me, that's not like financial. And I, I think that's probably not how you meant it either. Mm -hmm. So much yeah. is cultural. Like, it's, you know... I mean, it's not easy, but like you can, if you, you know, you're sufficiently motivated, whatever, you can eke out a living, you can even make a decent living. But um, it's, it's very hard in this age, this atomized age to find a community. And so that kind of, at least for, you know, uh, myself, I, I think maybe uh, the both of you could co-sign on it, mm -hmm. that uh, doing these pods 
has like put us in touch with a community of people that, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it creates a certain amount of fulfillment in one's own life. And that is kind of like, that's like getting the leg up that we had to, you know, seize that we had to, you know, take that chance and, you know, pursue that opportunity. And, uh, yeah, no one's going to show you how to do that. You just have to, you just have to do it. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Yeah. I really, I, I think it's an interesting time because we talk about, you know, it's the game of musical chairs and everybody's already sat down. So you can, you can either decide to continue to kind of gripe about not having a seat or you can just say, ah, I'm going to go start my own game. There's Absolutely. a ton of power in being the guy that goes, ah, you know, okay, this game is a bit rigged. I'm going to go over here and try to, yeah, I'm going to go over here and try to do something new. People admire that too. You want to yeah. be, you know, leaders start their own thing. They don't co-opt existing things necessarily, or if they do, they do it grudgingly and, and in order to completely reform and reshape them. Uh, part of that part of the problem too is like being an American dude where in our brains we've got astronauts and cowboys and even like Steve you know, Steve Jobs and these you know we've got these guys are kind of the the machinery in the sky in our minds and now we're being confronted by this like weird quasi soviet uh leviathan that wants to yeah. eradicate that and wants wearing a mask John Wayne wouldn't wear a fucking mask. <laughs> John Wayne's kids aren't aren't getting lined up for shots every three months. What yeah, are you talking yeah. about? So you're gonna you're gonna throw all that away and then wonder why the why we're devolving into violence? Why there there's no trust in society? Well, we don't have the we don't have uh, figures to look up to. Yeah. No. Well, to be yeah. uh, no, I want to yeah to almost be a little bit more white pillar in the room here. I, I think <laughs> we were talking about this before we started yeah. recording. Uh, people have really had it with that. I think that we and we talked about the, you know, the the the, the cultural mores of, of wokeness as a dominating force. But I, I actually think that we're uh, at least one year out of the peak of that, uh, or maybe two years out of the peak. Of that. You know what I mean? We're we're moving away like collectively from that uh, to the point where I think that a, ma a slight, ma a silent majority perhaps that of people don't take that seriously anymore. Even if they are themselves liberal or leftist, uh, we are, we are, I do think we're kind of in a, in a post woke moment in a way where people, I, I actually really, maybe I'm too optimistic, but I really think even very average people realize the degree to which this, to which this is all sort of corporate and orchestrated by powers that be, and you know we we want we, we a lot of us don't a lot of people don't exactly know what they want and i'm not saying that the answer will be necessarily right wing or traditionalist in flavor i don't know what comes next but i do think there is a lot of widespread uh you know discontent with it and i think that's one thing that that we're leaning into again i don't know what's coming next but i really do think a lot of what we're describing here is bad and you know as someone like curtis yarvin says maybe it will remain with us it could remain with us indefinitely because it still is, you know, codified within power structures that still exist. But like the general, the PR for it and the general perception, um, yeah, I really do think has slipped a lot since 2020. It, it's not sexy at it's all. Not. Yeah. And it's not fun. And I think people are, are seeing the fruits of it. If it lands you, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Exactly. Yeah. It's just not cool. Anything, anything else 
It's just, yeah. it's just, I'm just leaving. The, it's again, I don't, I, I'm not even interested in playing that game at all. There's no sizzle at all. It's not yeah. fun or interesting. It's, and, and crucially, yeah. you're playing a different game now. We all are. Like you started AOD, we started mm-hmm. New Right. I wrote a novel, you're writing plays, and you have started uh, Bad Mouth Theater Company, which yeah. is, you know, producing. Yeah regularly like you've produced four plays in the past year right we did we did a reading series of five plays including my play moderation and then we we did four uh radio play type readings you can get those at badmouthtc.com including the the last one we did it was it's all red like a metaphor or something by this great young playwright yeah, yeah. Named monty d montalegre and that play Seriously, put it in your ears. It's 40 minutes long, free. It's at badmouthtc.com. Just click on the podcast button. It's all read. This this dude wrote this play that is so theatrical. There's no way it's ever going to be made into a movie. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and we're adapting moderation into a screenplay right now. So I, I don't have anything, you know, Glengarry Glenn Ross is one of the all-time bangers. Great movie adapted from a play. So that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but this it's just so theatrical and it's just all about the color red. Uh and it's kind of a metaphor for meme stocks and the market nuking. So okay. it's just this perfect, it's a perfect example of a play that sits in a moment in time where I, and I don't know how long it took uh, Monty to write it, but it couldn't have taken him years. I mean, it's a 30, 40 page play. And it's just this nice, neat, funny, absurd, bloody, dangerous sexy goofy play that you could get your friends together and do you could find monty and email him and say hey we want to do your play at this pub in or this you know bar in soho or in washington heights or in uh marvin whatever mar vista wherever you wherever you are do it locally theater demands that locality that's one thing i love about it it forces you back into the local back into the body back into the present uh and that play is just it's so funny and as somebody who's ridden the meme coin thing from the bottom to the top to the bottom again and now it's coming back it's just like his play captures that and talking about that essay on uh i am 1776 that you pointed out am i saying that right i am so yeah. is that what that yes. is yes yeah. we actually in a pod an upcoming pod with uh mark we uh, we discussed the correct pronunciation, and it's both I am seventeen seventy six or or I'm seventeen seventy. He hasn't decided. He's like it's both are cool or by him. So well, I love what they're doing. <laughs> you're you're there. good either and, way. <laughs> yeah, I love what I love what they're doing there. And that that article that you you sent uh, by what is it Aeneas Aeneas uh, Tacitus Minor. Yes, yes, Aeneas. Ta- <laughs> Tacitus. that's uh that's his real name uh, by Tacitus. the way yes yeah indeed legal name. yeah right, right right indeed his legal name yeah uh in any event he you know he makes the case in that article uh that the so-called right whatever you want to call it right left dissident people who are not inside this mainstream should the dying the corpse the maggot uh strewn corpse of this thing this dead thing that everybody knows is dead which can offer no vitality and no humor and no fun and no support anymore either and that's maybe the last straw uh you you know you can't even uh nuzzle up to the corpse and get a little warmth like like luke you know hacks open his tauntaun to survive yeah you know you can't even do that anymore it's dead uh in any case um if you want to fight against it theater is so good for that because it's so immediate you know it it doesn't take three years to write a play the way it might take take to write a novel 
Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. And, that and, and also mm-hmm. brings people together. You're in the same room. You're you're watching stuff. You like you know you can turn to the person next to you and talk about it. Whereas like a novel, like I I just wrote a novel. I love writing novels. I love reading novels. But if I want to talk about my novel, I have to get on a fucking podcast or something. Mm-hmm. Whereas like if you want to you know see a play, you can you know you go out, you have dinner, you know after the play, you talk about it with your friends. Maybe you know it's a small thing. You have dinner with the you know the producers or the playwrights. It's uh you know it's a communal At- thing. Go hang yeah, out with actors. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Somebody posted on Twitter. It's one of my favorite takes about theater recently. They said you have to be so horny to want to make theater. <laughs> and I was like, it's true. that's <laughs> it's true. That's great. I love it. Yeah. yeah no, well, I was going to say, I mean, one of the things that's always been exciting to me about your work, Kevin, with the theater, um, going back to when we, you know, we, we, we talked about moderation. That was, if people want to know more about moderation, not only should they watch it or listen to it, but also the, the for Kevin's first appearance on new, right. We talked a lot about moderation as I recall. So it's uh, you know, you can go back and check that too, but going back to, to, yeah, the first time I, I saw moderation and and then kind of seeing more with, uh, with bad mouth leading up to this episode is it's always exciting to see how social and how much interaction, and you know, it's not like you're on there with a bunch of frog Twitter guys either. Like these are actual, just real people working actors in the real world. And there's a cross pollination between, you know, you bring the flavor, uh, maybe from our corner of the internet to an extent, but then it's like real art done in the real world. And it can be, you know, anyone can go and see it. And that's, what's really exciting. Like I'm a novelist too, like Dan, um, you know, you, you write your book, you go on podcasts. That's great. I love our corner of the internet, but at the, at the same time, like it is, that can be a much more isolated art form, you know, to, 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 to write alone and then to, to, to promote online, like, uh, finding ways to break in into different audiences and again have that cross pollination i think is really cool that's one of the great things about bad mouth theater and uh, your other you know theatrical well that's that's very nice and w- one of the things i love about theater is that the spirit to go into theater is always oh there's no career here and i love that because we yeah. live in this we were talking about the the waspish origins of the united states and I, this isn't a knock against against wasps per se but it is a knock against the the culture of work like yeah no i just want to and i'm a i'm a classic catholic like no i just i just no (laughs) i want to put my i want to put my feet up yeah i don't care if you want to stereotype like i i'm not living to work i'm not absolutely and and i don't yeah (laughs) yeah it's so loathsome it's one of the very worst things about america it It really really is Agree. Yeah, I, I was just interviewing for for jobs. I have a I have normie jobs like other people. I I build websites. Uh, I'm actually working on a website for uh, for Peachy Peachy Keenan. Uh, mm. oh, she's nice. got her d- domestic yeah. extremist uh, coming out. So uh, I help people with that kind of thing. I do uh, copywriting, technical copywriting. Uh, and I you know I was interviewing for a gig here recently with somebody in in the UK, and, and she just was like, I just can't believe because they were talking about their their time off policy and how. The Americans can have unlimited time off and will not take it. And it's like, <laughs> what is wrong with us? Have you ever been to Europe in July or August? It's yeah. over, bro. Yeah, it, no, it, it's, it's over. Nice. And, 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 and it, there's one of the things that we say in our corner a lot is, you know, we don't have to live like this. And, 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 that, and, and that's, that's, we don't, we, you can just, you know, in any case, um, yeah, no, I, I, you know, yeah. I was in England in uh, in August, and they they are drunk as hell in August. Uh, <laughs> well, that's not, nice. you know. Yeah. Well, okay, in England they're always drunk as sure, hell. Sure, yeah, I mean, but yeah, but 
really, it's that is one of the very nice things about theater is don't go into it thinking I'm going to have a career, but you're going to get what, you know, because we do have this transactional mentality. Well, what's in it for me? And it's like, well, if you're a young person, young man or a woman, but I'm going to speak as a man, don't go do Toastmasters or some dumb shit like that. Like, yeah. go, go into the theater. Go yeah, learn yeah. how to give a monologue. Go get some space, some Shakespeare into your mouth. Get, you know, learn a learn a monologue from uh, Julius Caesar or from yeah, the Tempest. Definitely, yeah. No, uh, I did a lot of theater yeah. in high school, and I think it continues to just benefit me as a artist and as like a social being as well. Yeah. And if you miss if you missed out on it in high school, I didn't do it in high school. I was very very I was a very awkward kid. Uh, I only did it after I got out of college. And it totally changed my life, just totally, utterly transformed my life. And at no point did I ever have the thought, oh, I'm going to get paid to do this or blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's not how I'm wired. I'm not a status seeker. Yeah. I'm not a career. I come from the, I come from the Midwest. We have this whole different, weird, alien set of values where people talk to me about like how important status is. And I go like, what? Like, it's just not, I don't, I never consciously think about my my status i only think yeah. about it when when something's like really starting to bother me so it's totally alien to me that, that there are people who sit down i'm sure present company excluded there are people who sit down and really like ponder well how do i get how do i get ahead and how do i get to the next level and how do i please this boss in order to get it's just like uh, it's, it's just such an alien thought to me so that's one of the beautiful things about theater is that because it's so hopeless in america because you're never going to be uh lin-manuel miranda <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like just embrace the hopelessness of it and just make your own shit and you might be surprised what ends up happening you might yeah. get into you might get into a good mfa program or you might your little theater might affect you know affect somebody and you who knows but just don't do it for any of those other reasons just do it to do it the same way for art of darkness we didn't we would continue to make this show even if nobody listened and yeah i just i think that's the pure place and uh yeah yeah, you got to kick the kick the money changers out of the temple in your own mind. Your mind is that is that yeah. temple. You got to yeah, you got to worry about money. Yeah, you got to worry about insurance. Yeah, you got to worry about all that stuff. But just get them, ah, throw them out, and and do the pure thing, the thing that makes you ecstatic, and the thing that that makes you puts you right on the edge of of embarrassing yourself. Theater is very embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is incidentally one of the reasons why I think something like Badmouth will succeed because, mm. you know, we were listening to it for the pod. And so I was re-listening to Moderation. You're a very good play, Kevin, and listening to One Good Marriage. And this is like I've I've seen a lot of theater in the past three or four years. I live in New York. I get dragged to things for various reasons. And I've seen I've seen a lot. It's a lot. It's just a lot of it is dead on stage, dead on. And like people pretend it's good. They like they're like oh clapping like seals, or maybe they think it's good and they're tasteless. I don't know. But um, yeah, the stuff that you have there is more vital. Like one good marriage that really grabbed me. That was like you know oh. I'm listening to it, and the kind of like it foregrounds the uh, the kind of uh, the conclusion the climax a little bit but then you have to work through the whole play to get the explanation to get understand why we got there it reminded me a bit of fight club in that regard and um yeah it's like 
you have more room to maneuver if your industry is completely moribund because you can just start something <laughs> new. And that to me, that's what you're kind of doing with uh, Bad Mouth. And uh, yeah, it's all red. That like, I, you know, I enjoyed it. And I really, it made me really want to see it on stage because I'm hearing about people's heads falling off. And I'm like, I want to see their heads fall off. I want to, <laughs> I want to see how, how would this be rendered on stage? Yeah. I mean, in, in the fourth play we did was Other Life Forms, which is just a modern play about an alien coming to earth. You could do anything, mm-hmm. anything in the theater. And I love that. And I love poor theater. Some of the very best plays I've seen were in backyards in, in Austin, Texas. Saw a production of uh, Proof in a backyard. Because that play, wow. a lot of that play takes place on a porch. Yeah, no, most I can of see it. that. Yeah, I just, I love that. So again, no excuses. And uh, you could be an impresar- impresario too. Like you can, you know a playwright now. If you're listening to this, you know a, a playwright. I'm out there. Uh, like, talk to people connect with people you have to put the pieces together to make theater and, and and it's never done alone and i and i love that um you know and we we uh for each of the four plays that we have so far on on the uh bad mouth uh, podcast we also did interviews so we got to talk to sean yeah. raycraft who's a, a real heavy duty uh playwright from canada he he crossed over one good marriage was like a big breakout play for him and it's like a little two-hander uh that just packs it just punches way above its weight uh and you know it, it launched a, a tv career for him so he splits time between uh canada and, and you know in the u.s here and um yeah sometimes you can make it you can start out in the theater mm-hmm. it can, oh, it nice. can happen so he, yeah he jumped from one good marriage to writing for tv yeah i think he, he got called up because yeah. i think he won like their big canadian playwriting award it can happen man i mean i've nice. and i've made money i've made money in the theater just through getting into the mfa program and i won a little fellowship and but yeah. it, you know you can't make it a, be about that that's not why no, you set no. out to do it because you'll you'll go nuts um you know if you do and uh you know also like i keep talking about the money changers and all the rest and that machinery in your head i think you know again thinking about crowley a lot these days like how how do you hack your own brain how do you especially as you get older mm-hmm. cuz you're like you're like that boat that's been at sea for a long time matey yeah and like sometimes you got to come into port and scrape the barnacles off uh yeah no definitely like, i think I know. the fact yeah. that like we have very little prospect of ever making money you know on this side of the internet it it's helpful for the art because you know I'm never thinking, maybe for better or worse, maybe Matt will think this is for worse, but I'm never thinking about how we're going to make money with you, right? No, yeah, I, no, no, absolutely yeah. not. Either, I'm yeah. like, you know, oh, well, this is clearly never going to make any money. Let's just do what we want. And the same thing with my novel. Like, I'm like, oh, like I'm writing it. I'm like, will this offend people? Of course it will offend people. Am I ever going to make money with it? Probably not. And, but I mean, like, that's, that's the best art when you like, let go of any sense of like, how will this impact my standing financially or otherwise in society? When you just kind of like, um, well, yes, you should be concerned about your standing in society, your artistic standing, whether people like re- re- like your work and think it's good. That's what you should be concerned about. And but whether the right people like it, not whether these, you know, these idiots like it, whether, you know, people who have, you know, open minds like it, which is not to say necessarily just right wing people, but, you know, people who have open minds like, you know, there's there's many uh, there's uh, 
many of them out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I was just going to coast on what you're saying with 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 the Crowley of it all. I mean, you know, get more into it on 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 Art of Darkness. Obviously, there's any number of uh, questionable things about uh, Crowley's behavior, but I do, and I had um, Alex Kazemi, who's something of a modern occultist, on this podcast a few episodes ago, and I think that you know, obviously that would probably raise red flags for some people. Um, but with, with some of the kind of esoteric stuff and, uh, you know, not to, to, to speculate about anyone's behavior, but even, you know, Brad Kelly, your co-host, um, you know, has his whole thing with tarot and whatnot. Um, you know, there is some, not that I would ever advocate someone get into occultism per se, but even with someone like Crowley, uh, with, you know, some of the more problematic elements, there is that basic element of how can I trick my brain into achieving more and to affecting reality that I have found pretty beneficial as an artist. So I do think that can, you know, have a positive effect. The two of you have inspired me to think about, and I don't know if I'll ever do it, but to think about writing a novel. Like I tried it Mm. when I was younger, but I got, I'm a natural extrovert. I get energy from from people and from being around people and from, from yapping, you can probably tell. Uh, and up to a point when I hit my limit, then I'm totally, I totally shut down. Uh, but I, I push it all the way. Um, and so I got lonely trying to write these novels. So they ended up being terrible because I wasn't happy and, you know, I was young and, and stupid. Uh, (laughs) what did I really have to write about? But I don't know, both of your novels, I just go like, Ooh, this would be kind oh, of yeah. nice and fun. And I would, I don't have to rely on any producers and exactly. Hmm, so I don't you know. control that whole world and you'd be hmm. surprised. It's like, even if you are extroverted, you kind of like form a relationship with your characters as, you know, gay as that sounds. No, you sound schizophrenic, Dan. Uh, yeah, no, it's <laughs> like, it's kind of, yeah. Like you will commune with them in your head all day. Well, and dude, maybe the way if that, you're, yeah, <laughs> maybe if the, you are a schizo, that's not the best thing. But I, I, I mean, know. when I when I was in my playwriting prime, when I was writing plays and like really writing plays, um, and I still do. I have the draft of a new play that I want to get going, and I and I and again now that I have a bit of a we have a tiny platform and an audience, and it's like oh, I kind of be cool to write a play and know that you know four or five hundred people online at least will will get exposed to it that's kind of cool yeah. you know and 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 in salah moderation gets a proper production at some point uh yeah. it, you know if if the american theater wasn't totally broken it would have um by now but mm-hmm. that's neither here nor there there's just there's literally just no outlet right now everything's all backed up because of the uh um COVID. because of covid and then and then also i'm not the hot young thing anymore uh and i put myself out there in a in a, in a pretty big way on on the bird website so we'll see yeah. if, it, if it's going to get a production it's going to be an unorthodox we may just do it ourselves um but uh Oh, what was I? What was I saying? I can't even remember. I was uh, talking we're about novels. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, no, no. I just yeah. It would just be such. I don't know. I was reading your. Yeah, I was reading your guys' stuff, and it's just like it would be kind of like tidy and nice and fun to. But um, I, you it know, is. I, I, yeah. It is I, no, but the way you talk about Spencer Grunhauer, you talk about <laughs> him like he's a buddy next door. <laughs> like yeah. Talk- no, I mean he felt like it. Like I yeah. As I'm like writing it, it's just like suddenly like. I might actually, in conjunction, I'm going to say this now, I don't know if I've said it before on the pod, but when Nutcranker drops, I might do a Spencer uh, Twitter account. You might uh, join uh-huh. Spencer Grunhauer, might join Twitter. So, yeah. 
I think it's a great idea. I think it's hilarious. Thing. Yeah. He's such a, it's such a brilliant character and so humorous. I mean, man, the, the, the film verse or the film adaptation of that, I think you, you can't, don't be modest about your books either, guys. Like, you, you don't know what could happen. You never know. There might be yeah. an auteur who comes along and somebody who is is looking for something different who says, this is the next Cosmopolis. Like, this is... Well, the one The know. one thing I will say is people who are... Um... Uh, let's say not uh, not very feminist uh, have like read my novel and said like wow man this is pretty misogynist <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like I'm like oh is shit it? if you if you think that uh, I'm I'm in I, trouble but I yes I, I don't think so exactly I don't no, think... the way I read it is that is that Spencer is the butt of the joke exactly the entire yeah. time yeah right? it's like kind of like you're, you're supposed to feel some empathy for spencer but yeah he is the butt of the joke in many respects mm. and uh yeah so like i think there's you know there's something in it for like um there's a lot of ambiguity i'd say there's a lot of ambiguity about the author's genuine opinions <laughs> <laughs> want that on the record <laughs> yes yes well, but this is the thing. This is the thing that the left or the that we call the the wokes can't seem to realize anywhere is that you you could have the ability to present something and not prescribe something. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Like, uh, how is that controversial at all? How is that? How? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like right. I feel like if you know you took like Portnoy's complaint, like I'm trying to ask people have, and they're like well, this man's clearly a misogynist. And like, I mean, I don't think that's true of Philip Roth, but like, you know, even if like that were, you can't tell based on someone's writing exactly because like you are describing or inhabiting a character and like that, you know, you, you have to allow a certain amount of license for people to, and also like generally when you write about someone, you're like diving into their their vices, their flaws. That's what makes them an interesting character. And so, yeah, you're you're probably not going to present a kind of like rosy vision of the world and everyone. That would be boring. Mm-hmm. Well, and and Dragon Day too takes on a lot of like taboo. Oh yeah, definitely. difficult <laughs> stuff. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. It, talk a little bit about that with astral it's uh yeah no far far from a prescriptive novel about uh behavior i would say (laughs) (laughs) what are what are people attracted to in drama and in art i mean we it boils down to and i think polia talks about this it's sex and death in drama that's it absolutely and and every every iteration and per you know perturbation of all those things uh, I think that's one of the reasons Crowley is such an interesting character because mm-hmm. he seems to be the the quintessence of, <laughs> of these things and a, and a man who was so repressed in his childhood and bucked it so much that uh, in a funny way, he's almost kind of an honorary American because he, <laughs> he, you yeah. could say he spent he spent time in America, too, but he's just such an individualist and so Very against much. the established order of the day and so anti-Victorian. Uh, uh, and I think even the most uh, uh, reactionary ortho bro today is more like Crowley than they would ever want to um, yeah. admit or, or accept. Well, I'm curious mm. to hear what you say about that on Our Darkness. But like, I actually was going to ask because Crowley has, you know, continued to come out throughout this conversation, which I which I love because I, you know, I also find him interesting. Um, but 
uh, yeah, I was going to ask this to kind of bring in, bring the Crowley topic and with some of the other topics we're talking about. I mean, what do you, if Crowley, it's kind of a stupid hypothetical, but that people ask, but like if Crowley was alive today, you know, you kind of said earlier, like it's Crowley's world the, living in it. You could root a lot of bad sort of more progressive or just degenerate quote unquote things to a kind of Crowley mindset, but like, there's no way he'd be happy with, uh, with a lot of the strictures of, of the wokes as we've called them, or just the sheer boringness of a biden-esque figurehead i mean would uh obviously it's a stupid hypothetical what would crowley do today but at the same time it's almost like that transgressive energy is more on our side now <laughs> in a way it's it's it is yes and it's not a stupid stupid hypothetical that's how we close every every art of darkness uh episode. oh right it is so, I okay, hope... so yeah, yeah it's not stupid, <laughs> so you but... know matt yeah you're, you're really uh you're, you're you're are you negging our podcast <laughs> format <laughs> i just mean to apologize no. for like uh you know obviously no don't... no i i know what you're yeah. saying no no it's yeah. funny um you're i i frankly think it's it's a fascinating question and he suffered from cancellation quote unquote right i mean they called him the wickedest man in the world the tabloids once they picked up on him and i think it happened after italy after he got kicked out of italy and um somebody died and 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 there was some real awful stuff that happened at um Chefalu, i think is how you pronounce it yeah uh which was the abbey of telema i'm trying to get all my pronunciations right mm -hmm. uh crowley telema Chefalu, kaczynski <laughs> uh, that one i could say um i keep writing in fan mail i mean he we won't write me back but um <laughs> the uh uncle ted you know yeah anyway <laughs> just gonna let that go i i still want to make write a musical about the killdozer i still think that like oh a yeah you should like that a, that's like a great a, one uh, like a like a country metal pantera industrial goth rock and roll musical about the killdozer that's a play i want to go see. yeah we talked about that absolutely yeah marv i gotta do that at some if somebody wants to commission me if peter teal is listening to this and you've got some teal you want to send me some bucks i'll i'll write anyway um peter no, but, come on so, the pod yeah come on the pod peter um it, it's it's bap <laughs> <laughs> anyway um and we're i'm not getting into any of that drama i don't care i oh, don't yeah. care about this yeah. none of it i don't care yeah. um uh stop fighting uh punch punch left um the uh he would yeah he, he suffered cancellation they came at him hard in the papers uh and it, it is hard to know what he would make of today's because he would i think he would see it as a kind of new puritanism uh, yeah and i I don't think it'd yeah. be wrong you know yeah it's uh so yeah, yeah that ties in a little bit into the, our whole conspiracy moment within this conversation because it's like yes i think there's some kind of esoteric transgressive elements but uh w within you know the power structure that be but at the same time like they they seem very much not to have that kind of wicked energy that someone like crowley had you know what i mean so that's absolutely kind of a line but hey, I know we're yeah. we're coming up a, a little a little above two hours here, and I know we got to wrap before too long. Um, but unless we do, was there any more topics we definitely wanted to hit on the outline, Dan? I think we pretty much hit on everything. Yeah, that I think we so originally too. intended yeah. to. But happy to you know fit in any uh, extra or you know uh, additional thoughts you might have, Kevin. I just, I really enjoy coming on the pod. You both are always welcome on Art of Darkness. If there's oh, a subject you. Yeah. you see we've done, just ping me on the Bird website. 
uh, slide into my DMs along with all you know the. Uh, <laughs> The sex the, magicians the, yeah the, the, yeah all the sex <laughs> i will make time for you guys sex magic or not <laughs> like you can you can no but for real you guys are always welcome on the pod um, that should great be, to know, have you guys um, mm-hmm. Dan's obviously done it with dunces but i i gotta i gotta find my art of dark uh debut I'll, uh, yeah I'll, yeah i mean <laughs> and, and it can either be it can either be a core episode uh or it can be a, a dark room the dark rooms are a lower lift like if you just see if you see we've covered somebody and you are passionate about them like if it's bukowski or if it's hemingway or whatever just send us a message and we'll book you and have you on because awesome. we, we love doing yeah. those. It's just the best. And I love what you guys are doing. Uh, your novels are inspiring. Uh, well, I can't wait you, for Nut, Nutcranker to come out. And and uh, I just yeah. I just love it. Let's just keep it up, man. And and, and yeah, and, and don't don't black pill, you know, don't. Uh, and if I ever sound black pilling, you know, I got I got kids. I got a family. I'm building a life in America We're you know, we're all going to make it. We're going to win. And uh, we are the adults. Yeah, That's there's right. nobody. There's nobody else. So as as they yeah. say in theater, the show must go on. Ha ha ha! That's a good. That's a good note to end on. And it shall. All right. All right.